Hi, everybody, and welcome to Dublin Tech Talks, brought to you in association with Iconic Counting. Uh, today's show is a product-specific show, um, first in a series of product shows that we are bringing to you. Uh, on today's show, we are speaking with Randy Silver, who is a author, co-host of a podcast, product specialist, and down-to-word, really nice guy. Today, we're going to talk around evolution of product, um, what product, what good product looks like, um, how to get the best out of your product team, your business, um, what's gone wrong in some products, uh, and a bit of everything. So uh, I hope you enjoy, and we'll speak soon. Uh, hi, everybody again, and uh, welcome Randy Silver to the show. Good to see you, Randy. Good to see you, Gavin. Thank you so much for inviting me. Brilliant. And for people who don't know who you are or what you do, could you just give a bit, uh, kind of a bit, a small synopsis about who you are and where you come from? Sure. So I've been a product guy for a very long time now. I do three things uh, most of the time. So I run a podcast called The Product Experience with Lily Smith, where we talk to people that are much smarter than us every week and tell us how to do our product E-type jobs better. Uh, I run a virtual lean coffee called Product in the Ether. Uh, that's at pitta.social. And it's a free virtual lean coffee. We run it about once a month. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you're more than welcome to join. And for a day job, I'm a consultant in the product world. I work on things around interim leadership, coaching and mentoring, people process prioritization and communication and things like that. And last year, I wrote a book called What Do We Do Now? Uh, it's about how to navigate the, the COVID crisis, but really, it's more about how to just deal with uh, your, your, your strategy anytime you get disrupted or accelerated or things change a bit, which is, you know, pretty much always. Uh, and I don't mind promoting it because all the profits from it go to pandemic relief. So I feel good about talking about it. <laughs> it's a very noble, a noble book. Um, so how did you get into product? You, uh, from, you know, from speaking to you before, it's a, it's a you know, you, you, you started off in music journalism. You were, you know, you, you studied science in college and, and, and you moved into product. How does that journey happen? Um, like most people's entirely by accident. Um, I, yeah, I was, uh, I'm the only person I know with an arts degree in biology and I somehow used that to become a music journalist. I wrote for a lot of different places and I ended up helping Amazon start their music store back when everything was still on CDs. So that was a very long time ago. And I did that in the US and then they asked me if I wanted to come over to the UK where I'm still based now. And I woke up after uh, six months of launching the store here in the UK and realized I didn't know anyone in this country or at least no one in the industry. I didn't know the publicists, I didn't know the writers. Uh, and I wasn't sure how I could stay in the UK and keep doing my job without having that network that I built up over the years in the States. And I started thinking about what is it that I actually do? And it turns out that working with writers and editors and designers and developers and publicists and a whole bunch of other people and helping them create something that's greater than the sum of the parts and targeted at customer delight. It's a highly transferable skill set. And it took me a few years to figure out exactly what that was. But uh, back in about ooh, 2008, I think it was, someone gave me my first job as a product manager. And I asked them what that was. And they told me about Scrum and Agile and Kanban and things like that. And I said, wait, this thing I've been winging for the last 10 years that I've been just me and a couple of devs playing around trying to figure out the best way of doing it there's process and there's thinking about this and I can align with other people on how to do it better and we can work well together, sign me up. So I've been doing it that way ever since. So is, is, is that what 
you know, you're a very personable guy. So is that what makes you enjoy your job, being able to deal with different stakeholders, fix problems, or, or you know, what, what's the attractiveness to product with you and, and you know, what, what has kept you in the product environment? Yeah, so I got into this, uh, like, like we said, uh, I was originally a journalist and an editor, and I was a decent writer, and I did some nice pieces, and people said some nice things about the way I wrote, but I'm a much better editor. And it was a lot more fun for me to look at the wide range of things that could be done and match other people to the problems and then get their pieces back and then work with them to make them even better. And I think it's that. It's that empathy and curiosity and the idea of creating these environments and walking into a situation every day and say, how can I make everyone else a little bit better and create teams that help solve customer problems? That's the thing that it, it never gets boring. Yeah. Um, and yet that's that's where it's led to. I've never been, I'm very much a generalist. I've never been bored and uh, I've been frustrated plenty of times, but I've never been bored by the job. Is that why you wrote the book, is it? <laughs> uh, well, that, that one was came out of, uh, lockdown was just uh, getting started here in the UK last March. And I was talking to a bunch of friends uh, who were in product leadership positions and they're all saying, what the hell am I gonna do? What's this do to my roadmap? And I was giving them the same advice over and over. And it turned out they thought it was good advice. And it was basically, you know, the job that you do is about understanding your customer and their priorities and what they're willing to pay for and understanding the market and what you are positioned to do better than anyone else and help people solve their problem in a unique way that's going to be better than anyone else in a, in a viable, creating a viable business. Why is, is the situation Sorry. different? Yeah, and is that why most product teams suck? Is that the the, the ethos of, of what you're trying to say? Because, you know, product evolution has been quick. Um, you know, it, it suddenly, as, as in my job, as a recruiter, it became overnight that team, that businesses wanted product people and people were looking around going, I, oh, I, I don't know what product is. <laughs> um, and then suddenly these people came out of nowhere as product specialists. Um, some of them had a different P name before them for a while, but, you know, you know, we won't talk about them, but they're the, you know, as, as people evolved, uh, product suddenly became a, a thing. Uh, and, and what I could see was a lot of businesses hadn't built the proper team. So it was, it was interesting to see that, you know, why, why product teams suck, uh, because I'd say there's a lot of businesses out there that may think that I, it, between their ears, but wouldn't say it out loud. So first off, I don't want to put words in your mouth because you're a recruiter and I don't want you going around telling everyone that product teams suck. Uh, I'm a consultant, so I can get away with it. And I'm using it somewhat facetiously because I also want to talk about how to fix it. And hmm. the fact is most product teams I know complain that they're not allowed to do the job very well. Uh, and that when I go in and I coach and I mentor and I consult with people, there are things I can absolutely teach them. I can teach them frameworks. I can teach them tools. I can ask them questions to help them rethink the way they're doing things. But that's mentoring and upskilling them a little bit. And the fundamental problem still exists if the environment isn't quite right, if the team isn't allowed to do the job that it needs to do. And I used to look at it through uh, a lens of three things, and they all start with P. So officially, you know, if you've got three things that start with the same letter, it's a model, right? So it was a people process and prioritization. Do you have the right people? Uh, do you have the right processes that allow you to work together and create value rather than just, you know, creating more process and bureaucracy? And do you, does everyone know what to work on and conversely, what not to work on at any given point? And I found that if you got those three things right, 
the product development teams, magically everything started working for them. But then there were still problems with other parts of the organization. And I realized, okay, there's a fourth P to this and that's perception because you can think everything's going right in your team. But if the perception from somebody else is different, then, well, they still think you suck. And it still comes down to things you can be doing everything right from the way we tell you how to do Scrum and Agile and all that. But if your stakeholder still says, where is the thing I asked for? Why haven't you built what I want? You know, if sales comes back and says, just do this and you say no, they think you suck. So how do we create an environment where they're on board and they're collaborating and, and working well with you and they think uh, the company thinks uh, that you're doing the right thing and it becomes a product led company with everyone else buying in. That's the real trick. And that's why I keep telling you know, people, your product team sucks. You may not think so, but everyone around you is telling you that it sucks. And, and just on that, and I might put you on the, on the spot here. What, what does a good product team look like setup wise? If, if you were to set up a new organization tomorrow or an organization, a division within an organization, you know, if you were to come in, what, what would be the ideal look and feel of that business? Um, I don't think there is a specific thing of saying, do it this way and do it right. That's where we fall into the fallacy of following the Spotify model that Spotify doesn't use anymore either. And that solved a specific problem for a specific group of people at a time. What we need to look at is what is the right thing for that business, for that group of personalities in that situation. Um, and we get fixated on this whole idea of we have all the responsibility and none of the power and woe is me, we're special snowflakes as product people. Um, the question you need to actually ask is, do you have a proper product team? And that's not just a bunch of devs and a QA and a design and research and, and, and a product person. It's different. It's not line management at all. It is, do you have a group of people that can ask a question, get an answer, understand the answer, and take action based on it? And if you have those four things right, that's a cross-departmental collaboration. You've got sales, you've got marketing, you've got support, you've got any number of other teams involved in that. And that doesn't mean they have to show up every morning to stand ups and they don't have to take JIRA tickets or whatever you use. But it does mean that they all have to agree on what is the value we're trying to get out of this piece of work, this priority that we've made. And just putting code into production isn't extracting that value. It's how do we actually realize the value from the work that we've done. So we wanted a 5% uplift in sales from this piece of work. Putting code into production is a piece of that. Marketing it and the support of it and everything else are key to extracting that value as well. And if you don't do all of that, if so, if those people aren't in planning sessions and aren't in the occasional retro, then you're not doing things right. And if you can create that situation, that's when you have an organization that's working well together and is communicating and collaborating. Okay, bro. And um, kind of other other things I was thinking that when before before we talked was did kind of leads onto that point nicely. So thanks. Um, <laughs> do, do you think when, when some businesses are building product, they, they nearly forget about who the users are and they just ship product because that's what they've either been told to do or what they think that it needs to be done and forget about the, the user journey or their experience or, or what the actual product is trying to solve? Sure. I mean, people fall into it in both ways. You can get so customer obsessed that you forget to actually ship anything. You're spending all your time on research and trying to figure out what the right thing to do is. And you can do the other way and just build and ship things based on what people inside the organization talking to each other say. 
Um, and it doesn't mean that if you do things, you know, right by the book that you're necessarily going to succeed every time anyway. You know, you go back to all these old things about Betamax was a better technology than DVD and, you know, sorry, than VHS and things like that. Uh, LaserDisc was better than DVD and a thousand other things where the wrong thing potentially won, but it was the right circumstance. Following the, the processes that we talk about, all it means is you've got a better chance of succeeding. You're going to do, uh, you know, if, you, if you're a startup uh, and you're VC funded, you've only got so much money in the bank, you want as many bites at the apple as you can get. And if you are a publicly traded company, you want to waste as little money as you can. So you don't want to spend 18 months building something the way people used to, only to find out it was the wrong thing uh, and it didn't work anyway. So it's that whole thing of try, how do we create something that is experimental and iterative um, and we're trying, but we're not overly invested in it. It's, it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. And, and, and on that is, you know, evolution of products of, you know, you've seen some really good, there's some really nice things that were not so nice beforehand and they, they obviously invested some money in how it looks and feels. Is that a, you know, would you always advise customers that you go to is, you know, have a look at your, your business and, and see what you can do better? Or is it a, a small iterative approach or, or what way do you look at how to either solve a product problem or to evolve a product? Ooh, interesting question. Um, you have to be honest with something. Uh, is this something, is the product that we have, is it usable, is it feasible, is it viable? Usable doesn't mean it has to be gorgeous. It means it has to be good enough. I've seen plenty of products that are ugly as sin and plenty of websites that are ugly as sin that do the job that their customer needs it to do and they do it effectively and they don't have an effective uh, viable competitor in the market. So there's no reason to really change it. Um, at the same time, you know, you also have to be honest, just because something is succeeding doesn't mean it's going to continue to succeed. So you would need to consistently look at things and do uh, scenario planning for the future and understand what are the possibilities? Is this thing, there's that classic bathtub curve, curve of something going to be new into the market, being more established, and then you have to start looking at the, a way of pivoting it or potentially replacing it and retiring it. Um, but you don't want to retire something too early and you don't want to pivot as something too early, but you also don't want to do it too late. And it is a very tricky dance. And, 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 and would that be, in your opinion, the product, the head of product, that, that their responsibility to be doing that? Is that a CEO's decision or has a product person the same responsibility these days as a CTO or CEO of business to be able to identify, you know, user, you know, the, the usership is going down or there's drop baskets everywhere, you know, is, is where does that fit within a business? Um, I'll give you the classic product answer of it depends. Um, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, we it, there's that whole thing from years ago of the, the product manager is the CEO of the product, and that is complete and utter crap. Um, you know, we, for one thing, we forget that CEOs report to boards and to other people as well. We don't have the ability to hire and fire people, and we're not making decisions in isolation. And the best CEOs are people who facilitate among their management team and come to, to a consensus and work well with that. That's ultimately our job. We can identify things, but we're also looking at through this very specific perspective. If you're a product manager or head of product on one part of the company's portfolio, 
then your entire world, your entire reward and sense of success is based on that product doing well and that area doing well. So you've potentially got a conflict of interest about the, what the entire company's portfolio is versus what you and your team and you're trying to do the right thing for, for you and your team. Um, so you should be able to identify potential issues you should also understand the wider perspective of the entire company as well as you can. And you should be able to bring it to the attention of people and facilitate a good discussion. That doesn't mean you're the best placed person to make the decision though. Uh, but you should ideally be able to make sure that that decision and that, that conversation is being had and the decisions are being made. Okay, and, and would you say there's that's different in different types of businesses between like a scale up and a more established enterprise size business. Is there a, a more of an, an, an appetite for change within a scale up startup world or is it kind of it's, it's the leadership side of the business that is, is the reality of decision making? Sure, you've got a totally different scenario in each of these and different layers of management and different situations about what the company needs. Um, at the startup point, you're largely going on gut. I mean, especially if you're VC funded, that's probably because the founders made a really convincing presentation to people and convinced them that this is the right way of doing it. And if you try something else, if you pivot too quickly, then that's not going to work so well unless the founder is behind it and gets the, the money behind it as well. At scale up, you've proven that this kind of works and now you're trying to figure out what's the right way of making it a viable business and, and uh, scaling it and automating a lot more things, potentially going into new markets, but it's figuring out specifically what the problems are. And when you're a more established business, well, you have a whole bunch of people's livelihoods uh, depending on you, you have some momentum, but you also know that there's the uh, possibility of, of uh, somebody coming in and disrupting you. And it can be really complicated to uh, make that change. And it, very different discussions, very different decision matrices, uh, very different ways of making the decision and who's responsible for it. Uh, and it really depends on what is the situation you're in, what's the immediate problem you need to solve, what's the next six months to a year look like for you. And that'll inform how that decision is being made. Okay, and it probably comes back to what you talked about earlier, so that kind of return on investment as well. The, if you're looking for you know 5X or 2X, multiple and it hasn't happened there's a problem um okay so there's a couple of other things just from talking with people and and you know hearing a lot around kind of the kind of the scaling up of product teams and the introductions of head of products and chief product officers and everything comes in there um sometimes i see some people within organizations and i go really you're 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 ahead of product um sometimes nearly like they're putting people into into roles nearly you know you know in, into the wrong role because they, they they've done something similar in the past and it's not what they've been there so you know that kind of is is there a right type of person for for a head of product or that kind of you've, you've mentioned a few attributes before what what would you say is something businesses should look at when they're hiring a, a, a chief product officer senior product people within businesses are there kind of certain areas or attributes or kind of drivers within personalities that should be looked at and should be key for hires? Sure. So um, I think there's one thing that almost all product people need to have, which is a combination of curiosity and empathy. And uh, I had a discussion with some people who were neurotypical recently, and they said, 
empathy is a tricky one in that uh, they have it, but they don't necessarily display it in the same way. So it's something to, to watch out for about how that's manifested as well. But getting people who are inherently curious as to what the possibilities are and looking around and saying, Ooh, we, those guys on the other side of the room, well, back when we were together in rooms, but on the other side, they're talking about doing this and we were talking about doing that and they would naturally fit together. If you're the kind of person who would stand up and just walk over and say, why aren't we talking to each other? Uh, that's the kind of personality type I'm generally looking for. Uh, I can teach you how to refine a lot of things, but I can't teach you to fundamentally care about the customer and to have natural curiosity and basic people skills around relationship management. Uh, we can refine all that. As you get more senior, uh, Melissa Perry has this amazing chart in her book that shows the difference between when you're more junior, you're very operational. You're looking very tactically up the day-to-day -day of how your team develops things. And as you get more senior, you're giving a lot more of that, way, of that away. And you start to think more strategically uh, as you go up and up. And then finally, you start to think at the organizational level and the environmental level. Are we creating a good environment? Are all the teams working well together? And it is a different skill set from individual contributor to manager and team builder and organization builder. Um, but again, it, if you're a startup and there's only eight of you uh, and you have one product person, I've seen that called head of product any number of times, um, just because people want to attract, uh, you know, they're, not, they're, they're potentially rewarding you with a title instead of cash at that point. Um, but also, it really depends on what is the is the the founder the person who is doing the strategic work, or are, are they bringing you in to do that for them? Are you acting as a hands-on head of product? It takes all kinds, but is something where you have to have a conversation with the team of what is the shape of the hole that you're trying to fill? What is the problem that that you need? And is this someone who's going to help you get there? And that's the really key thing. And then looking at it uh, six months, a year, two years down the line saying, if we solve those initial problems, what's the next problem? And is this person right to work with us on that stuff as well? Will they potentially grow into it? Or do we need to create another layer at that point? Okay, brilliant. I'd love to finish on that, but I have a couple of more questions because uh, there was one thing that, I, you know, these, these are things I've been seeing or asked, you know, that person is not, they're too B2B and not B2C within product. Is that a major issue when you're you're hiring somebody, the, the, the environments they've worked in, or is that something again that can be learned or is that more, you need to understand who you're selling to and what you're selling more than the actual skills? Um, it can be, it, again, it depends on the situation that you're in. Um, sometimes you have a lot of industry expertise. So I've seen places that are, you know, financial services or healthcare, highly regulated industries where you where you really need to have some deep understanding of what the, the cuts, excuse me, of the customer, the problem and the situation. Um, and that can be learned, it can be acquired, but do you have time to let them learn that? And do you have the support system around them for that? Um, or do you need someone who you've got plenty of that knowledge, you want someone to come in and shake things up a little bit and ask really good questions. Um, so it can absolutely be done. And then there are different skill sets between B2B and B2C in the way that you do research potentially. 
Um, it depends on, are you mass market or are you something that is trying to go out to a select small audience? Um, so the question to ask is based on your experience, how would you do research with this? How would you do growth and expansion? How would you do work with marketing? How would you do this? Tell, if they can tell a convincing story about how they do it and, they, and you think that fits in well and it helps you solve your problem, great. If you need someone who's done this specific thing before that's gonna teach you how to do it, then get someone who's done that, that thing before. Okay, bro. And, you know, I, I don't really have much more questions. It's been, it's been really good, good chatting to you, Randy. Um, probably the last thing, and I think you've touched on it a few times, if, if you're a business today and, and you're looking at hiring a, a senior product person, uh, you know, you've, you've mentioned curiosity, empathy, communication. Is, is there anything else that, you know, as a consultant coming into a business that you've seen that, you know, should be looked at first, maybe even before a, a senior product person has been brought in or, or should, you know, what, what, what other skills would you advise people to look at or either within a business that, you know, it's not always outside a business to bring in, it's sometimes inside a business. Is, is there anything else around that? Um, so there's a couple of really good books on the topic of hiring great product people. Uh, Christina Watke's The Team That Managed Itself and uh, Kate Lido's most recent book are both really good on, on the topic. And one thing that I think that they both include is the idea of creating a job canvas, which is essentially asking, what is the problem that we have and getting some agreement uh, from all the stakeholders on that and saying six months from now, uh, if you're a big company, three months maybe if you're a startup, what does good look like? We, how do we know that we've hired the right person? What's working? What's different? Those are questions I always like to go in and ask if I'm a candidate for a role. You know, say, great, if we, we love each other. You've made the decision to hire me. I start on Monday, three months from now. How do you know you've made the right choice? What's working better? What's, what are you not, no longer complaining about? And if you can come to some agreement on that, that dictates a lot about what the hiring process ought to be. Okay, yeah, really, I've, I've, I love that job canvas, or job uh, canvas. Um, I say everybody does that before, and then they write a job spec, and then they just ignore what the what the canvas was talked oh, about. Cut and paste job spec is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> You're speaking to a person who looks at about five a day there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we need, we need 10 years experience of a technology that's five years old right there. <laughs> I'm always happy to help you fix those problems, Gavin. Let me give me a moment. <laughs> um, no, thanks, Mill, for your, your time today, Randy. It's a, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Um, Thank you very much. I've uh, done a couple of talks in Ireland before, but uh, mostly for the product scene. Uh, my wife's from Tipperary Town originally and lived in London for a long time. So it's always nice to get back over there, even if it's only virtually this time. <laughs> so thanks, Mill, Randy. Um, I'll add all your contact details, your LinkedIn and everything on the uh, on the back. Best of luck with your talk today. 